Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. High fly ball, belted right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, and yes, sir, you know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, belted right, welcome to the show. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Happy Halloween week and welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. If you're looking to place a wager on a sporting event, baseball season is over now, unfortunately, but you still got college football right in the thick of things. The playoff predictions just came out for the first college uh, college football playoff uh prediction out there. You've got all the lines there. you got Alabama and LSU playing this week. I'm sure that that is going to be a heavily, heavily played line as Georgia also plays Kentucky. If you want to put some money on that game, stand a chance to win some. If you think you've got an upset pick that's going to win you a lot of money, go ahead and do it. Go to mybookie.ag. You'll get all the lines that they have Every line that you could possibly think of. If you're into prop bets, they've got those as well. If you miss the start of the game, you want to bet in-game instead of betting the entire outcome. If you want to bet a first half over-under, they've got that right there on mybookie.ag. Not only is it very easy to use, they are a very dependable, very reliable company. And anytime you're betting money online, the reputation is what is most important And mybookie.ag does the best job at maintaining their professionalism. Go to mybookie.ag. Use our promo code BRAVES25, and they will match you $1,000, up to $1,000 on your initial deposit. Not only that, when you use that promo code BRAVES25, they will also throw in $25 on the house. Make sure you go there. Use our promo code, again, BRAVES25. Tell them where you heard it right here on the Platinum Sombrero. And today, we are very excited to bring back a very fun guest of ours, very fun friend of the show, Wayne Cavati of Minor League Ball. Wayne, what's going on? How are you guys? I'm glad to be back. Thank you so much for having me. It was a no-brainer, really. (laughs) No-brainer. Thanks. Thanks. Now, before we get too deep into the baseball stuff and we get into the the nitty-gritty, Halloween, how was it with you and your daughter? Uh, It was was, uh, exciting, and it was an adventure, as always. So she's 
just about to be three this winter. So this was, we've been trick-or-treating before, but this was like her first, she's going to the door like a big girl year uh, and doing the trick-or-treating by herself. Uh, there were there were a couple run-ins with a couple dinosaurs and dragons that didn't go exactly well, but for the most part, <laughs> for, for the most part, she had a great time. She got a, I mean, I'm telling you, she got, she did it right. I never got that much candy as a kid, but. Now I get it as an adult because she can't eat it all or else she'll be up all night. So everything worked out great. Um, you know, like I told you before, she was, she was Tinkerbell. It was a last-minute decision. We, um, we bought her an Elf the costume last Wednesday. She wore it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and then decided <laughs> yesterday she wanted to be Tinkerbell. So uh, you, you can't argue with the princess. Um, and that, that's just that's how it went down. <laughs> Especially when she's the source of your candy. What was that? So especially when she's the source of your candy, because that's one of the things that they don't tell you when you grow up. Hey, guess what? People aren't just going to give you free candy anymore. It's 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 a cruel world, but you know now that I have a little one, I I got figure I got six or seven more years of good candy coming in, so it's a good deal. (laughs) What's the candy rankings, by the way? Yeah. Which ones do you rank? Which ones do you go for first? That say, oh well, I'll just take this. Um. You know, I'll tell you what, we went to, uh, we didn't go in our neighborhood, we went to a friend's neighborhood, and she got some of the, like, full size, like, she got a full bag of Skittles. What? A, a full candy bar. Yeah, yeah. Like a full Snickers bar. So those were, those were daddy candies right there. I mean, there's no question. Um, but I'll always, I'll always side towards, um, Skittles. They're, they're my go-to. So, you know, and, and the good thing is that she likes them, but you usually get a lot of Skittles. So you're not really you're not doing damage to her. Like she's still getting what she wants. So it works out well. Interesting choice. Doc, what's your Halloween candy of choice? I actually am gonna go with Skittles as well. I, I also I really like the Starburst, but it's just so much unwrapping to do. Yeah, it's a lot of work. You're right. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you'll get like a, a little piece of paper that just sticks to it. It's it's a it's a mess. Skittles, <laughs> no frills. It's easy. You can pour them. You can do handfuls. You can do whatever. They're a very versatile candy. I got to say, I'm a little disappointed. Skittles were good back in my day when I was young where the green one was lime. Once they changed that to apple, they just basically quit. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to give people, you got to mix in the the fruit flavors, you know? Whatever, man. I'm already getting grape and strawberry. Give me my lime. Well, here, check this out real quick because I'm looking at it right now. She got a purple bag. Uh, This one has melon berry. Berry punch, raspberry, wild cherry, and strawberry. That sounds pretty, pretty strong. That sounds strong. Uh, I yeah, am a yeah. classic man. I go with the Kit Kat, of course, the Reese's, and I think Twix are being criminally underrated now. Yeah, you know there were no Kit Kats this year. None, uh, or at least she didn't, she didn't pull any. I don't know. You know, I didn't go up and ask for candy, which I should have done. <laughs> I should have been like, "No, take that one." Uh, but we, we did get a lot of Twix and Reese's Pieces. But, yes, there's no Kit Kats in this basket. I'm telling you, it's overflowing. It's crazy. But uh, it's hard to argue any of those three. Those are three solid candies. Uh, millennials ruining my, my Halloween candy. The good news is it'll probably be cheap for me to buy and gorge myself. So that's always good news. And uh, when I have children, it will just be an excuse for me to take their candy. Exactly. If that's what you have them for, pretty much, after the, you know, have a good Christmas and then get some candy on on Halloween. Right, that's they the cost a lot of they cost a lot of money, so you got to take the perks where you can. <laughs> You're telling me, I hear you. Okay, so that is that is awesome. Uh, Halloween is always a fun time, especially because you get to watch good movies like Nightmare Before Christmas uh, and all the Halloween oh, yeah. movies. Awesome. 
Um, but we do have some baseball things to discuss. And yeah. we didn't really get to talk about it, but the end of the World Series, not really a shocker when you look at that Boston team. Um, there seems to be this weird sentiment coming out from like the anti-analytics crowd right now where they're, they're kind of like, because the Dodgers didn't win, they think that that means that analytics was proven wrong, as if the Red Sox aren't a preeminent team. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I'm just going to tell you guys, if you think that because the Dodgers lost means that analytics doesn't work, you guys are dumb. Because literally every team that made the playoffs was a top analytic team. Um, it's not like it's it's not a foolproof. Hey, if you're a good analytics team, you automatically win. The thing is, when you're a top analytics team and you have a gigantic payroll, that kind of helps. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, you know, you guys know I'm a Yankees fan. I didn't like what I saw, but going into the playoffs, there was no, you know, the biggest question the Red Sox had was, was their bullpen and. Cora pretty much the best thing he did to stay out of his own way. Like he put, he made a lot of moves and they all seemed to work for the most part. Um, but, but it's like you said, I mean, that team was stacked and it's easy to lose sight of the analytic play behind it. But I mean, come on, they didn't win 108 games on talent alone in this day and age of baseball. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> it's almost impossible just to go out there and play traditional baseball. The way especially, people are putting shifts and everything on you. Especially in the AL where there's the, the it's super top heavy. I think the NL might have been a little bit better balanced, but the AL, I would say that probably the top five or six teams were probably in the AL, with the exception of the Dodgers. I mean, <laughs> the AL is stacked at the top. And for anybody that wants to doubt the analytics, there is like go go back five, six, seven years ago. What manager is putting is pulling their ace out of the bullpen in the eighth inning? or the ninth inning right. to close a game out. Like, it's not happening. That's analytics right there. And like I said, I'm not going to get too yeah. deep into this. I just want to let you guys know it's not this big, weird, boogeyman word. It's All it is is extra information, folks. You don't want your team to be the Baltimore Orioles, okay? More information is always better. It's hard to argue that. Now, before I get off on the tirade, uh, there's also something hilariously funny that we have to talk about before we to, before we get into our player breakdown. The Mets, man. Could they have pulled a more Mets move? They hired Jacob deGrom's agent to be their GM. That was really confusing. Go ahead, Wayne. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I'd I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, well, no. You've got... You've got Brody Van Wagenen. Okay, he's he's an agent, and I'm I'm sure that he he knows plenty about baseball, and good for him. But you've also got Bloom coming from Tampa Bay, who is there's obviously such a progressive organization who still, you know, he's part of the brain trust that put together the team that still won 90 in the division with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Very, very forward thinking, and they they take the agent. I just I don't understand that. It I, help me understand. <laughs> I actually, well, the second half of what you said, the Tampa Bay, the guy Bloom from Tampa Bay. I mean, I don't know what else that guy had to prove to deserve that he <laughs> he should have the position for a team that had, in my opinion, the Mets have no direction right now. Like, you, there's no, you have no idea what they're doing, aside from the fact that they didn't trade the Grom, Syndergaard, or Wheeler, or any of those guys at the deadline because someone in the front office says they're going to compete next year. So. There's no direction. Like we have no idea where they're going. And but here's the thing: I don't mind thinking outside the box in this day and age of baseball and going after an agent. Like you said, an agent knows a ton about baseball. 
But going after the agent of some of your best players just makes like it's going to be an ugly situation at some point. You know what I mean? Like, it, and that's the part that really has me confused about the hire. I mean, maybe if you were going after an agent, you're already rebuilt and already there, and you're hoping that by hiring that agent, you can maintain better ties with his agency because CAA has a ton of players that they represent, a ton yeah. of big time players. But the Mets have to basically do a complete rebuild of ever, of all their position players. They still have three good pitchers. Um, but not just that. I mean, if you guys want to hear something hilarious, we'll tweet this out from the account. I'm sure most of you have seen it by now. But Van Wagner was on with Mike Francesa. And this is the only time in my entire life that I have thought Mike Francesa came out ahead in his interview. Van Wagner's over here talking about that the Mets are, are going to compete next year, that he loves the roster and their lineup, which, I mean, he, of course, has to say. He can't say, nah, we suck. But he didn't qualify with a, we're going to add pieces to what we think is a good roster. It was, no, we can compete right now. Who's better than us? And he's just like, well, the Braves? It's like, well, what have they won? Um, well. <laughs> well, and Francesa, who's normally a, a – doofus was just like you you know that you would take their roster over yours right now and it's one of those things that it's a perfect storm for the Mets and I said this a couple days ago I have heard no rumblings about this I have heard no insider news no rumors but I would not be shocked if the Mets end up getting JT Real Muto and it's going to cost them a lot but I would I would venture a guess JT who is with CAA uh, would will end up a member of the Mets for something like a package of Andres Jimenez, uh, Mark Vientos, and then uh, some sort of pitcher, whether it be uh, Handhold, who's who's a pretty high end reliever. Uh, you have to be to be in a top thirty as a reliever, or or one of these other pitchers, Z- uh, Zapersky maybe. But I would not be shocked to see them go all in to get Real Muto if Van Wagenen is being honest and actually thinks that the Mets are are a team that can compete. I yeah. I- hundred percent agree at that. I mean, the question is, is, you know, do you want to give up your top? Up? I know you got Rosario up there and they're, they're the same position. Um, but do you want to give up on a guy that, like you said, they don't have positional depth right now. I wouldn't, um, but so, the Mets are dumb. Right. That's the thing. I just think they're stupid. <laughs> True. You can't, it's, it's hard to argue. There's no way that you can say any trade rumor with the Mets is, illogical because that's precisely what a trade rumor with the Mets is. It's 100% illogical, so it makes sense when you put it that way. <laughs> I wonder where the line is drawn from some of this. I know that, that he's been decertified from uh, from being an agent while while he is a GM, and, and I, but uh, he also, over the course of working with these players through CAA, he's kind of got intimate knowledge of certain things or certain things that right. they might want. You know what I mean? And well, he knows all their agents now too. They're all from the same agency. So there's right. a, there's a, there's a feeling there. So, you know, because he's from CAA that whether or not he's cut all ties, there's still a sense of loyalty. He was with them for a while. And you just look at that Mets roster and you're talking about CAA. It's got uh, Brandon Nimmo, Thor, DeGrom, um, yeah. Con- Frazier. Frazier. There's a couple others on there as well. They've got, I think it's seven players on the Mets roster that are CAA clients. And it, it's one of like, it was the perfect storm of the Mets move. Cause I can go ahead and tell you if I had been hired from the Mets GM, which Mike, uh, the Wilpons rudely did not even give me a call back, uh, which I would have been fine with at first, but you went and hired a, an agent. So now, now I feel a little insulted that I didn't at least get a call back. Um, first order of business would have be would have been to trade one of Degrom or Thor 
use that to restock a depleted and horrible farm system. You could keep Zach Wheeler because you have control, but you you needed to deal one of those two guys, and they're not going to deal either of them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think last time I was on was right around the trade deadline, and we were talking about what the Braves should do to go after Degrom, and I think we all said you know pretty much anything because that, I mean. That's what you. So that's what you can ask for. I want your top. Right. I want your number one. I want your number five, and I want your number ten. And most teams are right. like, oh, okay, yeah. And and now, you know, now some of these prospects are, are a little bit either they're either closer to being on the big league club, so the team doesn't want to trade them, or they kind of maybe fizzled out, and the Mets wouldn't want them. So you know, now they find themselves in a terrible position to start this rebuild because. They should have done it. It's like you said, they didn't have to break it all down, but they, they should have traded one of them. It just made no sense to me. And what's what's happened with Cespedes? And, you know, that's a lot of money they have tied into him over the next couple of years, and he's not even going to be playing until yeah. June, July, because he's had both of his heel procedures now. I mean, that's this is a very Mets move, and this is a, this is a very Mets time for the Mets. Like, even for them, this is a very, very Mets situation. I mean, I guess that it keeps them in the news. So maybe that's like, you know, the old, any news is good. I mean, any publicity is good publicity. So maybe that's the approach they're taking here. And they're like, well, we're not going to be very good. So the only way we're going to stay relevant is making crazy moves that people will talk about for the next two months. It just makes no sense. And they're going to trot out Michael Conforto in center field again next year because they, they are the worst run organization, I would say, in baseball, and I, I'm saying that even knowing that Baltimore has had no international scouting department until this season, at least Baltimore oh, yeah. is trying to improve. The Mets seem to be getting worse, and it, it, if, if for no other reason, it's funny for a Braves fan because we hear so much about Liberty Media, and by the way, if the Braves don't add at least to $120 million on the payroll this year to get to that $120 million mark or $110 million even to match the Brewers – uh, I will change my stance, and I will be, I will be outside Liberty Media in Colorado with pitchforks and uh, ready to tear them down. But at this point, the only thing you can say is the the Wilpons are a perfect example that private ownership is not always a good thing. Yeah, I mean for sure. I mean it's you know the funny thing, like you mentioned the Orioles when you were just talking about it, and like the thing is, is like the Orioles were really bad this year, but they haven't been really good in, in quite some time. The Mets were in the World Series, what, two years ago? Right. You know, and with, with a lot of the, the same young people that were supposed to get them to the next level, and, and it's, like, completely gone. And, and, you know, growing up, like I said, I'm a Yankees fan, but I, I did like the Mets. I love that 86 Mets team. I love the – I like the 88 team. I, I didn't love them as much as the 86, but, like, they kind of did, they went through the same thing. And, and by 91, it was like nobody was the same. They got rid of everyone, and they, they didn't even look like they wanted to compete anymore. And it's like they go through these cycles, and it's just you sit there, and you're wondering what, what the heck's going on in New York. Like, what, what is their main objective, <laughs> you know? And, and I don't think you could ever answer that. Like, with, with the Braves, you knew their objective. Four, four years ago, we knew it was going to stink for a few years, and we just had to fight through it. But at least we knew we were going to get somewhere, and... It happened quicker than we thought. With the mess, you're just like, huh? <laughs> you know, you're like, what's going on? I'd be interested to know as well, like what kind of ripples that creates in the locker room because nobody's going to come out and say it. But you know, those players are are looking at who gets hired as the GM as well. 
And I, yeah. I wonder if they're, I think that they're, the only thing I can come up with is they're hoping that by hiring the agent of their best players, that that will make them more likely to stick around as opposed to go somewhere else. And I can, yeah. I can say, okay, I get it. But not when you had somebody like Tampa Bay's VP of baseball ops. Like that's the thing. Like that was that was the perfect candidate right there. That's a team that is built perfect. on basically no budget, that does a lot of innovative things, and that is a standout in the area of developing players. That is what the Mets needed right now. Yeah. I mean what they did what the Rays did in the priest in the in the offseason, you know, they and they the league filed a grievance against them and it looked like they were tearing everything apart, and they were just going to tank it. And what they did is they didn't bring in sexy names, and that's why everyone thought they were tanking. But what we learned is that they brought in names that actually produce better. You know, it, that doesn't mean it was uh, like a like a Stanton on the Yankees that was going to get you 40 home runs the first year he came in. But these guys were hitting the ball. They were getting on base. They were playing the, the ball that the Rays needed them to play. And they were producing runs, and then – you have Kevin Cash being a wizard with the pitching staff and creating a whole new position. You know, I mean, you talk about analytics at its finest right there. And the guy is obviously a major part of that, getting those pieces in the place that made this a 91 team, and you just pass on them. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It really is, but I don't, I don't want to spend any more time on the Mets outside of the fact that I think that it is ultimately I think it's ultimately good news for the Braves in more ways than one because I'm not a I'm not yeah. a now that we're we're in this whole we're in the trade season now basically where everybody's talking about names to add and, and Real Muto is the name that's on everybody's tongues I'm not a JT guy I'm, I'll be honest I'm really not a Real Muto guy uh, I've said this before I think he's a lesser version of Buster Posey when Buster Posey was still you know completely whole and not broken yeah. Um, yeah. My my only part on that is if you know I'm not real big on trading the top end of your talent for two years of a catcher who at most is going to play 130 games. Um, right. If he still had five years of control, then sure I'd be all in on it. But with two years and you've got you've got some pieces down there, you would think a lot of William Contreras. So you know you're figuring in two three years max, he's the he's the guy. I wouldn't do it anyway. I think that that can be a good move for the Braves. That's not going to sound good. So if if the Mets end up getting Real Muto in Braves country, we're just going to hear a whole bunch of, wow, you just let the Mets go and get that guy, same old Braves, and everybody's going to be upset. I actually think that that would be the better move. Yeah, I mean, for what it's going to cost them, I, I, I agree with that. Like, the thing with Real Muto is, I think that it's a good, you know, the, the Buster Posey comparison is, is a good way of looking at it, but I mean, catching, this is like one of the worst times of catching, so the fact that he can put the ball in play and hit um, it does. I get why his value is so high. I mean, is he like this incredible special player that deserves your entire farm? No way. But at his position, like I do, I definitely get that, the aspect of that. And you know, the Marlins, who knows what they're doing? Speaking of a team that made no sense with some of their trades, um, you know, so you, you have no idea what they're going to ask for. You would have to assume that they're going to go for the world because of how things turned out with some of the other prospects they brought in on some of the other trades, but. I mean, yeah, it's going to be. It, it seems like I kind of I I tend to side with you that it would cost too much for the Braves to go out and get a guy that, as a catcher, could get hurt next year and you don't get anything out of him. You know, so I I, I agree with you on that. And Doc, you and I have been talking about this off air for for a while now. There is no way that the Marlins do not require Austin Riley in return because they don't have a third baseman prospect unless they move Brian Anderson back to third, which there's no plans yeah. of doing. Um, but, I mean, Doc, does this, like, 
you're talking about a team that turned down Juan Soto because they wanted Victor Robles with the three years of control on Real Muto. So I would say, imagine, I would imagine it's going to be something along the lines of Austin Riley, uh, probably an Ian Anderson as well, and then probably a third piece that's that's in the not in the top 100, but maybe right outside the top 100. Is that like my off base on there, Doc? No, I think that's probably that's probably right. And uh, to see Bowman tell the story, like the Braves are, are really really hot for Real Muto, and they've they've made two runs at him already. And apparently, the deal right around the trade deadline that was getting kicked around was Soroka and Riley plus. But apparently, Soroka's shoulder threw some type of uh, wrench into those plans. Yeah, I mean, so that's a lot, you know. And and Real Muto is is the real deal. Like you said, if he were, he was a left fielder, wouldn't even bat an eye, but since you're getting that type of production at a catcher, that's huge. And it's not just offensively, like the stuff with the stolen bases against the Braves. Like I, I don't have the numbers in front of me for cut stealing percentage for Todd hours and Kurt Suzuki. Something like 26%, maybe 27%. It was really, really bad. Yeah. yeah. It's, is low and and real Muto's got a great arm and he's got really quick pop times. I mean, he can help control the run game. So it's, he's not just giving you offensive contributions. And uh, but man, Mike Soroka though I I don't I don't know this is this is where it's tough. We've known all along there's going to come a point where we have to start moving prospects. But it took so long. I mean, Mike Soroka's been in the system for three three and a half years. Austin Riley too. Like nobody, even even a guy like Colby Allard who's been around that same amount of time, but he he wasn't showing up when he was in the majors. Like man. I don't want to trade any of these guys. It's like they're my friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like spend so yeah. much time tracking their performance and, and, you know, reading scouting reports and watching video and stuff. It's like, man, even for, even for somebody that if real Muto becomes a brave, you know, you're going to love him and you know, he's going to have a huge offensive contribution, man. Soroka Riley plus that's a I mean, bunch. I'm glad that didn't happen. Cause here's, I'm going to take what you just said about real Muto. And I think I'm going to go the opposite way. You said, if he's a left fielder, you don't bat an eye. My counter to that is put his put his numbers and put it in right field or put it at third base, put it at left field. Are they a guy that's worth three of your top prospects for two years? And I don't think that they are. I think because he's a catcher, I think that ups the – how do I want to say this? That, that ups how good the stats look. But I don't think it's anything that special – when you look at it in the form of, of another position on the field. Now, you can say that if he wasn't catching, the numbers would go up, obviously. But I, I don't I, – I'm with you. I think that's way too much. I wouldn't give up Soroka, period. I don't have a lot of untouchables. And quite frankly, everybody is, is available for the right deal. And anybody says that there's an untouchable prospect, the only one that I can possibly think of that would be untouchable would be Jose Ramirez for the Indians because there is no way to get the same value in return as far as what he brings you and what his contract is. But as far as that goes, like if you're trading Soroka, who I think still, even with the shoulder injury, I think he's the best pitching prospect. Maybe Ian Anderson jumps ahead of him. But for right now, Soroka is your best bet to be a front-of-the-line type of guy. Maybe not a number one, but to be a front-of-the-line type of guy, a two or a three, say, and be a very consistent top guy who you can run out there every day. You need those guys too. And if he maintains the 97 after the the shoulder surgery, you're talking about a number one type of guy. That's not a guy plus Austin Riley, who I do believe, quite honestly, will be dealt this offseason. If you bring in a big name, Austin Riley's going to get dealt. Um, but I, I don't see giving up a Soroka and a Riley 
and another piece for somebody that's not going to play 150 games, for somebody that, that's not a top-end type of guy in the league when you take away the position. I definitely think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair assessment, and you guys know my feelings on Austin Riley, so you better be getting a high return for Riley because he's, you know, he's my favorite. I mean, I know he's not going to be the next Chipper Jones, but, you know, I, I, I it's like you said, I've been watching him for so long, like this guy, I feel like he's our friend, and I would hate to see Austin Riley go before he gets a big league at bat with Atlanta. And I'm one of these guys that – I've not been as high on Austin Riley as a lot of other people. Uh, the strikeout rate really concerns me with him, uh, but I've come around a lot on him. He has done he has done more than any other prospect in the Brave system to improve himself, uh, and just by improving his body and his conditioning, and he's come a tremendous, tremendously long way. Uh, I, th- I still think I think at this point he's a guy that's going to hit two fifty five maybe 260 in his best years, but he's a guy that's going to give you 30 home runs. And that's a huge thing to have. 255, we've learned, is not that big a deal if you walk as well. If you're a 255 guy with a big OBP and 30 home run power, that's an all-star type of player. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the biggest takeaway is, is what you said, is that he's all these, like Ronald Acuna, Mike Soroka, they were that good the second they stepped on the field. You know what I'm saying? Riley was not, like, that first half of 2016, he was lost at the plate. You couldn't hit a bracing ball to save his life. But like, like you said, like he's, he's definitely not – he doesn't have the greatest hit tool in the world. He still chases a little bit. But, I mean, the improvements that he made – and defensively, I mean, you talk about it, it's like tenfold the, the oh, improvements man. he's made defensively. Like there's no question so, he can stay at third now. Like, like you, there, there's yeah. no questioning it. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, like you were going to say, like two years ago there was no question he wasn't. Gonna, you know, like there was, he was. No one thought he was going to be a third baseman, and now all of a sudden he's a third baseman. And I think when you're talking about a 21, 22 year old kid, that's that that's valuable. That's one of those. You know, John always talks about as opposed to tools, skills, and and that ability to learn, and that moxie, and that I guess you would call it pitchability if you're a pitcher. You know, that 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 drive to get better. I mean, that's a huge factor with Riley, and and it shows on the field, and I, and that's that's why I think he's a special prospect. And there, there's a lot of it to it, and uh, it, it's going to be a shame because I've given up the fact that I do think that Joey Wentz is probably going to get dealt this offseason as well if his value is still high, which I don't want to see. I love, I love me Joey Wentz, but that, that's you know yeah. having to come around to some of that. Some of these pitchers are having to go, but since we are in the fake trades, you know, we get around to this where we've we've seen a couple um, that just made me shake my head and kind of laugh in disgust. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this one on our page, but somebody, this is an actual Braves fan. This is not, I went to this guy's profile. This is not a Red Sox fan pretending to be a Braves fan. This is a guy who just, who proposed Bryce Wilson, Patrick Weigel, friend of the show, Ray Patrick Ditter, who we're going to talk about later, and Izzy Wilson, one of my personal favorites to the Red Sox for Brock Holt. Yeah, it had to be, I saw it. I saw it. It had to be a typo, right? Like, did he really mean Brock Holt? So it had to be, I, Look, I know that we we saw Brock Holt hit for the uh, hit for the cycle in the playoffs, but that's not Brock Holt. That's not regular <laughs> everyday Brock Holt. No, like I, like did he did it auto correct? Did Mookie Betts for some reason auto correct Brock Holt? Because it, it, I don't, I, I saw it on your page. I even commented to Doc, and I'm just like, this makes no sense. Can we please talk about it on the show? Because I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. I mean, like, I mean, and I'm. <laughs> I'm not opposed to to get it to going after Brock Holt, but I mean that's 
that deal is a, a yeah. tad. <laughs> it leans a yeah. little, a little heavy Boston, don't you think? For a guy that's got yeah. twenty career home runs, you know who I'd give you for Brock Holt? I'd give you Thomas Burrows, and that's it. Like that's it. That's as high as I'm going. It's you're talking about a guy who is at best, you know, he's a, he's a utility guy, not a super utility yeah. guy. He's not Ben Zobrist where he plays every day. He's like Charlie Culberson, only a little bit less. And if the Braves, if anybody thinks that you would trade four players for Charlie Culberson without knowing that he was going to hit six homers against the Nationals, you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love the hot show season. I mean, you got to love it, especially with social media growing and everyone allowing and you know more more team specific chat rooms and, and and groups forming. It's just it's great on social media to see what some people think of prospects and, and how these trades unfold. And, and you know, I mean, to the, there has to be somewhat more, and I'm not trying to sound superior because I'm not, because I, I can't make a logical trade offer either. But, you know, a cow, more casual fan, there's no way that, you know, that someone that follows prospects religiously would even think that's a, a logical trade. <laughs> you know, so it's fun to see hospital season come around and people just look at the, top 25, top 30 list, and be like, okay, let's pick these four and go after him. Right, and but you just went after Brock. Like, you didn't go after any – like, for that type of four-player deal, maybe you say Mitch Moreland. Like, somebody who's a <laughs> who's a starter but not a top-end starter for them. But for for that, I, I don't know. It was it was one of the worst trades I've ever seen, and I've seen people trying to put up brave uh, seven prospects for Real Muto and, quote-unquote, maybe something else, unquote. Um <laughs> So th- that is uh, that is what you'll get to deal with for like the next three months. But we did mention Patrick Weigel, and we mentioned Bryce Wilson, and we mentioned a lot of the pitching staff. Um, the Braves are in, in a weird spot right now. They've got a real crunch for this 40-man. They're already at 36, I believe, right now. And there's a ton of guys that have to be added. Uh, Patrick Weigel is, has to be put on the 40-man, or he's up for the Rule 5 draft. Travis Demerit as well, and there's, a, there's a, a Ray Patrick Ditter. There's a whole host of others that maybe we'll tweet out to you so you guys can know as well. But this is one of those things where you know the Braves are going to make deals at some point this offseason because they have to alleviate a lot of this pitching glut that it's kind of gumming up the 40 man and things like that. They have to start creating room or they're going to lose a lot of these guys. Cause if you don't put Patrick Weigel on the 40 man, somebody's going to take him. Gone. Gone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a tough decision. I mean, they obviously took steps towards that during the season with some of the names they traded, like, the, you know, like the Lucas Sims and all of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's the problem with rebuilding and, and hitting the jackpot so well with 40 top prospects three years ago is that you're going to run into this problem. And, I mean, of the names you just mentioned, I mean, I guess the merit you would – I mean, I, I don't I don't know where he fits into the future plan, so I don't think that's a hard decision to see if he flips through. But the other two, I, I don't see how you, you you let them go. You know, I, it's, it's, it's not a position I'm envious that they're in to have to figure this all out. Yeah, I think Weigel's a slam dunk to get taken. I mean, if he if he can even oh, yeah. get get close to where he was before he went down with Tommy John, then uh, you know he's he's an obvious obvious pick to uh, to get moved over to somebody. I think Ditter could honestly. I think Ditter's got a, a spot on on this team in the future. We will obviously get into this uh, toward towards the end. Demerit, I you know, even if I don't know. He, 
He's the guy big, that big nobody's going to want to put on their 25, man. That's the only thing with Demerit. I don't think you have to add him because I don't think there's another team out there that's going to look at him and think that they could keep him yeah. on their 25, man, all year. Right. Patrick Weigel, right. a team like a team like Baltimore or a team like Kansas City who knows they're not competing, why wouldn't you go get Weigel? Because you can yeah. stick him in the bullpen till you're sure that he's ready, and then, boom, you've got yourself a starter who, by the way, profiles as a pretty decent starter and who, before going down with an injury, was on a, was on the same course as Sean Newcomb and Lucas Sims as far as rising up through the minors, was actually ahead of both of those guys. Yeah, and, and it's like you said, if you go to one of those, like the, like a Royals or an Orioles that don't have a win-now mentality, even if it takes a little bit longer, it's still worth it. You know, and, and especially with, with him, I mean, like you said, he was, he was going to be a big leaguer right before we went down with an injury. That's the shame of it all. So, yeah, I, I can't see him. He won't last very long at all. He'd be one of the first picks, I would assume. By the way, big thanks to Boggy over at Nakahoma Nation, the smartest member of that crew, uh, who's got the whole yeah. list of the Braves that are Rule 5 eligible. Also, Alex Jackson yeah. and Jacob Webb, who I didn't mention. Uh, Alex Jackson is actually is, is kind of – he's one that's interesting because – Personally, I don't think Alex Jackson is anything more than a backup at the major league level. I don't think he's got the hit tool for you to run him out there every day. He's almost kind. He's almost reminds me of Tyler Flowers when Tyler Flowers was a member of the Braves the first time, where the story was can't really hit, but when he connects, he can send it a long way. And that was that was Flowers before we traded him to the White Sox in. Uh, was that uh, who was that? Who did we get back? Was that Javier? Vasquez, Javier Vasquez, I think. Oh, wow, think so. that was that long. <laughs> it was a right. long time ago, and because uh, he was like twenty one, twenty two. Because the big story about him was, you know, Brian McCann's getting older. Did we get another Georgia boy to replace the Georgia boy? Uh, which didn't work out for him. Also, didn't work out for Jared Saltlamakia, <laughs> unfortunately. But that—that's kind of what I see as Alex Jackson, who's. You know, he's learning a lot as far as pitch framing. Uh, when we had Patrick Weigel on, he had nothing but good things to say about uh, Alex and the way that he, how far he'd come as far as being a catcher. But nobody's ever going to mistake Alex for a, a plus defensive catcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Dad. Oh, no. Just he, even with all the work that he's done, I mean, when we saw him at the Futures game, he looked bad. He, there were some, some lapses during the season that he had. So uh, ultimately I think it was a, a very nice, I don't want to say it was a nice favor, but that's the, the term I'm going to use anyway, uh, to move him back behind the plate and to, to see if there was anything else back there. But I think ultimately he's first base DH type if he winds up making it at all. So he's one that, that you might have to, you might have to gamble on. You didn't wind up giving up a, a ton uh, to, to get Jackson. So in the end it's, it's not, it's kind of, that trade winds up kind of being a wash. The Jackson Posey, was, Whalen, Jackson, okay. Pike deal. I mean, that's that's a couple pieces that, that haven't really wound up contributing. So if you lose him, you know, who knows? You could get him back. Because keeping somebody on the 25 all season, that's hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially if you're talking so about... The, Go ahead. I'm the sorry. One thing I was... Sorry. I just wanted to throw in that I looked up the trade. and Boone Logan was the other piece in that trade that came <laughs> over in the White Sox. I had to throw that in there. Sorry. But Boone Logan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yeah, it, it you do have to make some some decisions on here because Webb. Nobody, I don't think anybody's going to take Webb. Maybe somebody who's who's bullpen needy looks at him and sees that he can throw hard. But Ditter and Weigel are the two, and we've been promising that we're going to talk about 
Ditter. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into his prospect breakdown. Then we'll come back to the top 20 because I'm kind of going out of order here, but I'm a rebel, so I do what I want. Um, <laughs> breaking down Ray Patrick Ditter, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not a super expert on him. I've seen just a little bit of video on him, and I've, I've done some stat line scouting, which I actually hate when people do that. But what I do know about Ditter, what I knew before talking to Doc and before talking to you, Wayne, what I knew is that he was the fastest player in the entire Brave system. Uh, that is his absolute calling card. Is his He's a true 80 on the 20 to 80 grade scale. Uh, he's a very versatile guy. He's played second base. He's played shortstop. He's played center field. And it was actually interesting that he was moved to center field when John Copalella was, was here. And then once Alex Anthopoulos took over, he was moved back to shortstop. Um, he was a little bit older for most people, 24 playing in double A. So, you know, you expect him to do a little bit better than the others, but he's, he's done fairly well for himself in the AFL. He's not a slugger by any means. Uh, he's not going to pop a lot of home runs, but looking at video, I could see some readings behind it. Usually when I see a guy like that, that has a super low slugging, uh, that's more of a beat feet and just run it out type of guy. Usually they've got kind of a slappy swing. Uh, they're more out on their front foot where they don't kind of cent- uh, they don't center their weight back. They kind of keep it forward. Um, but like think like Ender almost uh, where, where Ender, when he swings, there's not a lot of transfer with him. Uh, that's what I was expecting when I dug into to Ditter. I didn't see that as much. What I saw from Ditter was he steps out with his back foot a lot. Nearly every swing that I saw, he moves his back foot. Out and if you were moving your front foot, it's called stepping in the bucket for all for those of you that that played enough to know what that is. Uh, but when you move your back foot, the problem is the problem is you lose your base, so you lose a lot of your stability and you lose a lot of power that way. So I do wonder if they could get him to keep that back foot kind of solid and keep it there. You know, obvious of, of obvious transfers or whatever, they keep that back foot relatively still. I wonder if he could go on a Johan Camargo type trajectory, not quite the same power because Johan's put on a lot of power and a lot of muscle, but more towards that gap power to where he can consistently up that line drive rate and use that speed to get to double digit triples. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. um, He's always one of the things that you said that that's the shame of, of RPD is that, you know, he was in Florida for what a year and a half, so it it was hard for anybody to do like real scouting on him, which is, which makes me sad. So you, you had to do a lot of watching video, and there there isn't a live feed. And you know, when he got to go to an away park, you you maybe got to catch him, but um, you know, it, it's like you said, he was always wide in the in the stance, and, and that that back twirl was going over his shoulder, and it he never really looked like a power guy. But it's like you said, he has to tap into that that gap power and, and he's been doing that uh, a lot. And, you know, even in, when I saw him a lot regularly in 2016, like he always seemed to, and you know, it, it, it seemed like every time that there was someone on third base that needed the score, he'd get that ground ball to right field and get him in, you know, he did like, he was so good at doing those little things. Um, and, you know, even putting the bat on the ball, which the next year in Florida, as, as we know, he didn't, he struggled putting the bat on the ball at all. I mean, that was his, his Achilles heel was, was the swing and misses for like the first the last year and a half until he got back to Mississippi and started looking a lot more like himself. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think his versatility is awesome. His speed is awesome. I don't know if you know the numbers on him, but 
if hitting by pitch is a talent, then he's the most talented player. <laughs> Doc actually does have a note. Doc has that written down. <laughs> I mean, uh, I remember when one of the first reports I did on, him on, on minor league ball, I didn't even mention the hit by pitches. And someone, like, this is three years ago now, and I remember it and because I researched it. And they were like, you have to you have to include the fact about how many times he gets hit by a pitch. I think he got hit by a pitch 23 times that year. It was something ridiculous. I don't remember. 39 uh, exactly. in 2016. 39. 39. 39. <laughs> 21 in 2017. And it's amazing. And then, you know, the guy, the guy in the comments, and I'm like, I wonder if it is down. He's like, well, you got to look at guys like Don Baylor. And, like, they made a living off of it. BGO. And, you know, and that's such with a guy that can get to second base, in the time of the sneeze, you know, getting on base by a hit by a pitch when you're struggling at the bat, that's a, that's a huge asset to a guy. Um, and I just always like that scrappiness in him. The, the ability to go the other way, the ability to hit the gaps, the ability to have 25 extra bases. And it's like, you know, like 10, 10 doubles, 13 triples and six home runs, something like that. I'm not good at math, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I just, that was always, that's what, what drew me to him. Um, originally, and the fact, like you said, he moved to center field, and he didn't really look like it was. He didn't look like he was a new center fielder that year. Like he, he handled it very well, and I think that he is definitely an athletic player. He's clearly a versatile player, and you know, the big takeaway that I'm seeing in the Arizona Fall League, and when I say seeing, I'm, I've been following the box scores. Obviously, I don't see it, but his strikeouts and walks are very similar. Uh, and you know he's had he's on like a four or five game hitting streak, and he's walked more times than he's struck out. And the last year and a half before he got to Mississippi, that was that was not happening. I mean, he, he looked like he was going to be a 150 strikeout guy. Um, so if he's getting more comfortable back at the plate, it's like you said, he's not the next Ozzy Albies, but he's got a lot of value for this team coming up. I, I think at least. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and anymore you see these guys. Guys like Ben Zobris and Marvin Gonzalez and even 2018 Charlie Culberson are really kind of exceptions uh, to to the amount of offensive production you're going to get out of a lot of super utility guys. For so many of them, the, the biggest thing about them is the fact that they can play any position in the outfield. Any, you know, They could catch if you need them to. They could probably pitch if it really came down to it. But Ditter's got – he's so well-versed in the same three tools as Pache, the speed, the defense, and the arm. So, I mean, yeah. even just being being in limited time out in the Arizona Fall League, he's been hit by a pitch twice in nine games. Uh, yeah. he is, he's got five stolen bases. He's walked six times, and he's only struck out eight times. He's got a 405 OBP, yeah. you know, which that's – you want a guy that is going to run who's going to be a pest on bases to, to find ways to get on. And one of the things that I have written down here is that, you know, you – yeah, he got hit by a pitch 73 times in the last three years. And, you you know, can you really count on that moving forward? But you, you're right. Some guys, that's they don't have any problem just taking one for the team and getting on. And Tyler Flowers, Kurt Suzuki, they got hit by a pitch, you know, 30 times between the two of them uh, each of the last couple of years. But both of them are have, have very sloth-like speed. Now, a guy like Ditter, if he's going to take one and immediately turn that into a double, I mean, that's – that's an asset and positional versatility. You saw what happened when Dansby got hurt and you pulled Culberson into the everyday lineup and you don't have that, that Swiss army knife type guy. So yeah, he, I mean, and, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say what, you're, what you said, um, 
being a pest on the base. I mean, that that's his role. He's out there to cause havoc. And you know, what I when I was following it last week, he had back to back games that he scored three runs. You know, and I don't even think he had three hits in those games. So like, he finds ways to get on base now. Now that the walks are up again, um, and you know, he said the OBP the OBP was a four hundred five and. That's that's what he's out there to do. He's he's a he's a cause havoc, disrupt the pitcher, get the guy in, you know, get over and then get himself in type of guy, and he's really good at it. And and you know, going back to the Yankees fans, I'm sorry on on this podcast, but in the, those late nineties runs, Louis Soho was one of my favorite players. And the guy the guy was garbage, you know, but he just whenever he came in, he caused chaos. And it was and he could sit for two weeks. They would need him to pinch hit in the sixth inning. He'd get three at-bats. He'd get three hits. He'd trip over his own seat running the first, but he'd drive in three runs and they'd win the game. And, and you know, and that's and, – and he'd do it at second base. He'd do it at shortstop. He'd do it in right field. You know, like, he was just that guy. And, and when I see a guy that reminds me of that, and Fitter's on a much higher level. He's going to be much better than Soho, in my opinion. But those are the kind of guys I like that I see a lot of value in. And, and a guy that, like we were just talking about, deserves that spot on the 40-man roster. I think there's a lot that you can do with a ditter. Uh, I don't see Marwin Gonzalez like Doc has or, or Ben Zobrist. He's not that type of guy who you're going to find in the lineup every single day at different positions. Uh, but mm. he's definitely like an Emilio Bonifacio, uh, Bonifacio yeah. first round. Not not what the Braves got. So Braves fans, before you start throwing up or finish throwing up first so you can hear this, um, Bonifacio, before, before his time with the Braves, Bonifacio was pretty good. Uh, when in his first run-ins with the Marlins when he was a younger guy, and that's kind of what he would do. He'd kind of he'd come off the bench and he'd go play second or center field or wherever, uh, some shortstop. Ditter has a cannon of an arm, so you can. Oh, yeah. I would think of him as a Bonifacio or a Terrence Gore type of guy, uh, somebody who you don't want taking a ton of swings per, per se, because his OBP, and this is one of the few players I've seen this. His OBP was actually higher than a slugging percentage this year, which tells you a little something. <laughs> Um, yeah, he had a 325 slugging across the minors this year, and like a 333 OBP. Um, but he's a guy that he can play everywhere you need him to on defense, with the exception of first base and catcher. Uh, his arm is plenty strong enough for third. It's it's a question right now, and this is something that Doc and and a few others have told me lately. Uh, I didn't get to see a lot of his arm, but from from what I've talked about or what I've been told, and and taking a look around at what some other people are talking about, his arm is on the same scale as Pache's. It's not as accurate, which means Pache's is probably graded a little bit higher, but it's it's rated as about a 70 grade on the 2080 scale, so that's that's exceptionally good. That's better than a lot of third basemen in the league, which means you've got no fear with his with his speed. You don't have any worries about having to put him anywhere on the field, and he's a better outfielder, surprisingly, than he is an infielder, which for a guy that played infield all through until 2016 maybe, I think, up until then – that's pretty impressive for him to take to it that quickly. So it says a lot to him. I think that he, not only on the 40 man, I think he's a guy you can put on your 25. I'd rather have him than Ryan right. Flaherty. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I put a, I've been doing a minor league ball um, position by position breakdown of prospects to, you should expect to see in the big leagues this year. And most of them are big names, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero, of course, you know, like that, but RPD is on my shortstop list. And I, I think, I don't know if he's there opening day. I mean, they got a lot of nice pieces, but again, it, we, we were all in agreement that, that they're probably going to make some moves this offseason. But there's no doubt that if they keep him on the 40 man, which they should, uh, that he'll be up this year and probably pretty early at that. 
I think the only thing is it's him or Lane Adams because they they essentially do the same job. Lane is also supremely fast and a really good base dealer. Lane has more power, mm-hmm. um, but I think Ditter is more versatile in that he can play infield as well. So that'll be very interesting to see. But I don't want to overshine the fact that minor league ball just put out a top uh, was a top twenty, not a top thirty, a top twenty, and. Uh, mm-hmm. We were talking about this before the show, and this is by uh, by John Sickles, who we uh, who we've been looking to get on the show for a while, friend of yours and a uh, guy whose work we generally like to like to read. He's a, he's a very in depth type of guy, um, kind of thinks very very highly, and doesn't. Uh, what I like about him is is more that he doesn't. He'll stick with what he thinks rather than what mm-hmm. somebody else thinks. He's he's not a guy that's going to go read what Keith Law says and change his opinion. Uh, he kind of trusts his instinct, so I, I like that about him. Uh, but looking at his list, there is one bone I had to pick right out from the very beginning. Um, and now in this top twenty, now obviously top twenties are a hundred percent opinion, obviously. So he's got uh, you know he's got Soroka, he's got Tukey, he's got uh, or Ian Anderson's his first, not Soroka. He's got uh, Tukey, Ian Anderson up there. But number five, he's got Colby Allard. So I don't want to get you in any trouble, but I'll be the one to say that I've got some bones to pick with that one. Um, Maybe if this was the Colby Allard that was throwing 95, I could see it, but this is Colby Allard throwing 88. And uh, I think that that's, that's a little too high to grade him as a B plus type of prospect. Yeah. And, and, you know, these are, these are John's picks and, and, you know, we were, we were talking about before the show, he he came for me for some insight on, on what I thought. And that was, um, you know, one of the things we talked about was him putting Ian Anderson over Soroka. And when he was talking about it, he's like, it, you know, he said to me, he's like, it's purely injury, in my opinion. He's like, if Soroka was fully healthy, it's, it's pretty much a no brainer. But so, you know, a lot of people are going to disagree with Ian Anderson being number one, but I understand that. I think I, I, Anderson has a high ceiling. I get that. Um, when it came to Howard, I had the same conversation, you know, that you just said, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I've seen him since 2016. I watched him in Gwinnett a couple times and I saw him in the big leagues and he's not the same guy. And, uh, you know, I, and I, I personally think a B plus is high and, and he, they had a pod, we have a podcast now and they, and he's talking about it right on the, on the show. And he's just like, he's like, I don't know why he's like, it's just a gut instinct. <laughs> He's like, we know that he has the stuff, and that's true. Like, we did see that when when he was young, he had he had a nice breaking ball. He had he had heat on his fastball, but it hasn't been there. In I mean, it started. I think it started in Double A. Like we started to see a tail off, and then this year was like you said, eighty eight, eighty nine. I mean, you know, there's definitely question marks there. Is he is he a top twenty prospect for sure? Is he a top ten in my opinion? Probably not, but. Uh, I haven't really sat down with them my top 20 yet, per se. So, um, But, yeah, that was definitely a discussion we had, and I, I said, be ready for the debaters because you know they're going to come when you do this. <laughs> I like and that he, he went with the gut feeling. I like that because I do a lot of the same stuff, and I, Lord knows I've said some really crazy things. Uh, and for <laughs> those that can remember, like two years ago almost, I, I did say that Colby Allard has Tom Glavin type of potential. Um which <laughs> I probably shouldn't have revealed that I said that, but you know, whatever. As as for what I see now with with Colby, there there's it's not just the eighty eight to eighty nine because his curveball is is one of the best as far as spin rates in all of the minor leagues. His changeup is phenomenal. The problem is everything else, and it's not it's not that you can't succeed with eighty eight eighty nine. 
Anibal Sanchez this year kind of showed you that. There's a few other guys that show you that. The problem is his mechanics are not something that's going to be conducive in the pros. With the way that he flies open, the way that he does when he pitches, the way he comes, it's a very weird motion. It's almost like an Alex Wood, uh, except he doesn't Mm. bend. So like his his right. arm doesn't go the same as the Alex would, but it's very similar in the aspect that he flies wide open. And when you do that, and you're throwing a hammer curve like he is, that's that's more of a slow and just more built on on a ton of break. That gives like you can't throw that to a right handed guy. Like he can see that literally yeah. from the time that you come up with the ball, he can see that all the way over. And that's why it didn't work, you know, facing the Marlins. And he he may get that ironed out. Um, that I I would just say that. Colby's not that guy, but if we're talking about gut feelings, I can't say much because I do. I'm, I am still firmly in the camp that Joey Wentz is going to be one of the best, if not the best, of the pitchers in this entire rebuild mode. I still think that Joey Wentz has Madison Bumgarner type stuff. I I love Joey Wentz. I'm not going to argue with you there. I mean, I don't know that he'll have the best stuff, but yeah, I mean, I've been I'm a huge fan of Joey Wentz, so. I definitely, I mean, it, it was a shame that we couldn't see, you know, it was injury riddled 2018. But, um, I mean, if there was anyone ready to make a quick rise in the system along with Bryce Wilson, then I definitely felt like it was Wentz coming into this year. Um, so it's hard for me to argue with you there. But I need I, that I, to I, come I, out. I need that to work. I've gone out on, on multiple, multiple ledges with that Joey Wentz. So if that one doesn't work out, I'll lose the little credibility I have. <laughs> I, you know, I, when I when I'm talking to other guys about prospects, I don't know how much. I, I'm not. I'm. I don't even know how much I'm right. Like, if we hit the batting average, like I'd probably be a, a pretty decent um, uh, major league player because I'm probably batting about 300 and predicting which prospects are going to be right. Which in baseball at, at the plate is pretty good, but in reality, I'm probably not that good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those, those are the people I remember most. Are the people that I was just like, "What did I see in this guy?" You know, five years later, I'm like, "Wait, why did I think this guy was the, the number four prospect in the system? Like, what did what did he fool me with?" And let's go back and watch that tape. So I, I think I think that's half the fun of doing what we do, watching these prospects and. Saying Colby Allard is the next Tom Blavin, you know. And, and five five years from now, we go back and we're like, "Man, I want to see the box score that I said that after." You know, right. like what did he do? If it's eight shutout innings. Like, what I got to see it. And I know why I did it too. I I watched his curveball and I or his changeup and I watched the way it moved and I was like, "That's Tom Glavin's changeup." And I wrote it down like an idiot. Uh, and <laughs> I know a few people that have that circled for when it doesn't work out. There were a couple other interesting grades that he had. He had Christian Pache as the number seven, which is a little lower than I've seen mostly on him. Um, mm-hmm. I can't really argue it because it's more a function of, of how deep he thinks that the Braves organization is because uh, he still gives him a B+. Yeah. Plus. Uh, I am super, super high on Pache. Uh, I actually think, and this is uh, this is the weird one, I think Pache has has the potential, not that he's going to be, but he has the potential to be a better overall player than Ronald Acuna. When you talk about the defense, you talk about the size, the speed, the arm, and the power, if it, if it really does come to fruition. Potentially he could be. Now, that's not to say that he will get there because there's a lot that he needs to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly he's got to cut down the swing and miss because he's he's doing that at a rate that's really – because he doesn't walk a whole lot right now. It really affects his on base. And if he's not a guy, he needs to be a guy that needs to be around 330 at the least as far as on base goes. But he he added a lot of home – or a lot of power this year. He finally started 
putting his weight on his back foot instead of being leaned over on the front foot and grounding everything. So you saw him, you saw him really take off with the fly ball rate this year, and it really worked out. Doc and I, we were uh, speaking about that Futures game. We were at that game where he hit two homers. Um, I think he hit one off of uh, – did he hit one off Nuke? I think they were both off of Nuke. I remember the. I remember uh, they were both kind of. They weren't like deep moon shots, but they were hit hard, and they were hit on a line looped over into left field into the bullpen. Um, he's a guy that I think I think is probably my favorite overall prospect in the system right now because his floor is so high that even if he doesn't come around with the bat, he's at worst he's Ender and Ciarte at worst. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know that he's going to be better than Acuna, but I mean, I get uh, what you're saying as an all-around player, but there's all no right. denying he has um, he has special talent, and it's like you said, he has the tools are there and they're ready, and it's just a matter of watching them explode onto the scene, you know. And when it comes to like, so if you take Allard out, you know, of, of the equation, then Pache is the sixth best prospect, and I mean that that's that's pretty agreeable with where. I think he, he'd fall into place with most people, maybe a little higher, maybe number five, maybe number four. But the thing, I mean, if you look at, at John's rankings, to me, when, I, when, when I'm reading them, I'm not really looking at the overall who's number 14, who's number 15, because if you look at it, I don't have it pulled up, but I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, we got to number 15 before there was even a C. Or C plus, yeah. I should say. I've, you know, I've got so, it pulled up. That's what I like about that, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, so to me, I think... I, and that was one of the things he was saying. He's like, the, the hardest part is I have all these B pluses and I have way more C pluses than, than a lot of other teams, you know? So how do I make 20, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's when a guy like John, who's been around the game so long and has seen so much when he says, I'm going with my gut, you, you know, I kind of, I'm like, well, I get it. I'm like this guy, you know, you're, you've never been, it's like you said earlier, He's never been afraid to go against the grain. He's never been afraid to admit he's wrong. And when he has all these guys that have these ridiculous grades, which the grades are, are usually more accurate than the rankings, but I think that, that's fair to say about anyone, you know. Um, so when he goes with a gut feeling on a guy like Allard, I'm not going to think he's completely insane. I'm not going to necessarily agree 100% with it, but I, I, I get where he's coming from, and I and. So, like, just to get back where I started from, like, I'm looking more at the letter grades and how he has these guys stand out, you know, like a Tristan Beck he had at a B, B minus. And I think we both discussed this. I think he's going to be the biggest climber this year. Uh, maybe not necessarily level wise, but, you know, getting back to full health. And if he can, if he can get what he has under everything in a full season, it's going to be fun to watch him. I like uh, I like Beck. I think he's he's a guy that if once he gets the health under him, I do think he'll fly up quickly because he's also he's very refined uh, for for yeah. what he was. To have him drop that far was was crazy, and it was a hundred percent health related. Uh, whether he stays yeah, as a starter or moves to the bullpen, the other one that I really like is is Bryce Wilson being up there at a B plus. And Bryce is a guy that I've had to eat crow with. Um, when I first got into watching Bryce and seeing what it was, I thought that he was a hundred percent a bullpen guy. Uh, I thought that. Uh, his stuff was was a lot more straight. Like his curveball didn't have the same depth when I first started watching it. But he's a guy that he he was a more of a football player. He's a uh, three star football player. was go, was all set to go play at yeah. UNC. Uh, he's a guy that took to the training like water. And that's that's one of my other things with Pache. Why I keep why I'm so high on Pache is because there are like from from everybody we've talked to that there's nobody in the Braves organization 
that seeks coaching. Now, there's a difference between taking coaching and actively looking for coaching. Uh, to see a yeah. player looking for coaching is something special, and those are guys that you bet on. And Bryce is a guy that seemingly everywhere he's gone and seemingly month to month to month, if not start to start to start, he looks a little bit better every time, whether it's transitioning from the two seam, which is what he was throwing. He was throwing at about 92, 93 to the four seam. And now he's throwing 95 to 97. Uh, he's got that. He's got a lot of late depth on his curveball now, which is yeah. spectacular because Late depth is the perfect depth. It doesn't matter to me if you throw your curveball 84 or if you throw it 78 or if it moves 10 inches or if it moves two. The late break is the key because that is what messes with hitters' timing the most. Uh, he started to add in a changeup as well. And I, I'm, I'm done questioning Bryce. I actually I keep thinking and I keep going over this. There's so many names in this Braves rotation and the prospects involved in it. Bryce keeps getting overlooked, and I've come to the point where, and I, I've just kind of gotten to this point a, a little bit ago where I just kind of realized looking at this list, Bryce has a real opportunity to win a rotation job out of spring training where it's going to be between, I think it's between him, Soroka, and Tukey. I think Bryce has a real shot, and it's not just a token he's in there. I think him and Kyle Wright as well. You can throw Kyle Wright in there as well. I think that those four are all legitimately looked at as the same right now. Okay, one of you go take that job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're talking about people questioning Bryce, I love Bryce Wilson. Uh, you know, I remember last time I was on the show, I talked about how part of what I remember about a prospect is what you know how they hold themselves after a game and when I'm talking to them for for the post game interview. And Bryce, he's just one of those character guys. So I, I've always liked him. Um, and I remember the day he got called up, Doc, you were one of the first people I messaged. I'm like, what? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I love Bryce, but I just could not believe that he was already in the big leagues in, you know, basically a year and a half from being drafted. Uh, I mean, from being in Rome. Um, but, you know, it's like you said, he can consistently proves you wrong. Anytime, if you, if you, if you question the guy, uh, he, he's going to, He's going to prove you wrong. He's going to get better. And, and you know, Tukey was another guy that, that was one of those guys that seemed to always want to get better and, and, and find those coaching, you know. And it, it took him a little longer than put Bryce. But, I mean, you talk about an improved prospect this year. Tukey, Tukey got it done. And, and if Tukey and Bryce Wilson are in the same rotation next year, I mean, we're, we're in for a treat. That's all I got to say. I do wonder how it's going to shake out with the Major League and, and AAA because – the AAA roster for the Braves next year, they will be able to beat or at least go head-to-head with everyone uh, but Durham or, or so, some of the, the big league rotations. I mean, I'd take Braves yeah. AAA over Baltimore for sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean is, is, are the Stripers going to have any hitters or are they just going to carry a 25-pitcher man roster and just see if they can hit? No, I, I, they have- you bat Tukey clean up. And you you know, you just – you pray for the best. Joey Wentz and Kyle <laughs> Muller were top prep hitters. Don't forget that. There you go. That's that's true. And speaking of Kyle Muller, I, I, we were talking about Joey Wentz. You know, Anderson Wentz, Muller, and actually Wilson from that same draft. You know, they always get yeah. get lumped together. Wentz had such a hard time this year, and that was really discouraging. But Muller had pretty much the exact opposite season because he had been held held back before. Lost in yeah. velocity, and then he he wound up getting uh, 
just taking huge steps forward. He started in Rome. He wound up in Mississippi. He's in the AFL now. He's playing in the, the fall stars game. I mean, he looked like early. I mean, you can never judge a prospect within the first year of what they do when they're, they're drafted, but his was looking kind of, kind of bleak, especially compared to the rest. And he's done yeah. as much as anybody to kind of catch up with that tier. And at this point through no fault of Wentz, uh, he's surpassed Wentz, I think on the, on the, the pecking order. So that's yeah. there's there's another one you know what I mean the 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 deeper draft picks it's not just the not just the top round guys you know uh, Wilson and Tristan Beck we were talking about those were fourth round guys and you know that's that's not at nearly as deep as it goes but it's nice to not have to just count on the first round picks yeah no for sure I got a question for you guys um, a guy that you know me and John were talking about um, as far as position in in the rankings go. What do you think of Gohara? I I love Luis Gohara's potential. Uh, I think if you're talking about pure stuff, I don't think there's anybody, any pitcher in the entire system that has the same level of arm talent as Gohara. Uh, his fastball was, when he was healthy and he was in the majors you know, for his rookie season, the fastest left-handed thrower in all of baseball, per average. Uh, his slider is one of the nastiest left-handed sliders you'll see. And what I love about Gohara and why I think that as why I think that it's a hundred percent off field with him, uh, as far as mental makeup, he never had to be told to pitch inside. He was always willing to do that. And for a lefty yeah. to come inside on a right handed hitter, most of, you're taught really not to do that because it, it gives an extra avenue, it gives a, a couple milliseconds extra time for a guy to be able to meet that ball. Uh, and to, to kind of see the rotation a little bit. Well, Gohara has such a good fastball that it doesn't matter. And if you're willing to go inside on a guy like that, and he's got kind of a, a, a very easy delivery, if you don't have to teach that person or get them to buy into pitch inside. It opens up every other avenue, especially while he's working on perfecting that changeup. That's the key pitch to me. If he develops that changeup, I think Gohara is maybe the best bet to be your traditional number one starter aside from maybe Ian Anderson, who, who can do that as well. But I think Gohara has the potential to be more electric than anybody else. He's a guy that I think could average some somewhere close to double-digit strikeouts per nine. He's, he's just got that type of stuff. The question with him is always going to be his mental makeup. How's his conditioning looking? Um, how does he mm-hmm. deal with adversity? Because that, to me, now this year is kind of a lost year, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. The injury, the family, all of that. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't fault him for any of that this year. But even when he was coming up and jumping up like crazy through the ranks when he bypassed Soroka and Allard, uh, the question with him is responding to adversity. That's the spot that I don't see him being as progressed as, say, Soroka or even Bryce, where they can kind of write that off. Once he gives up a big hit or a big homer, I see that kind of affecting him a little bit more. And, and, and I've got a buddy who does the replay for Gwinnett, as I've said a million times. Uh, but that, that's kind of the story that he'll tell me with Gohara, too, is he'll look lights out for four, and then he'll give up a bomb, and then before you know it, he's given up four runs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'm basically on page with you. I still think, you know, what you just said about the way he ended the adversity makes me rethink it, but I think he would be so nasty as a closer with those two pitches. Um, but I know and I'm not saying I'm not saying to give up on him as a starter. I'm just saying as a fallback option in a year or two, if it's not working, 
he would be nasty as a closer. But when you bring up the you know the way he reacts to a home run or the way he handles adversity, maybe maybe a closer is not the best spot for someone like that. But um, I do agree with you that uh, I don't think you could look at this year and, and pass any judgment on him. I think he's still a special talent and. And you know he came from Seattle with the with the work ethic and and, and mental toughness issues that that was the, the knock on him and we kind of saw it a little bit this year that he he does need to work on that aspect of the game but but it's like you said his stuff is it's undeniable it's filthy and he's still only twenty two and and yeah. there the we were talking earlier about fake trades and. You see a lot of different trades where Gahara is is the headliner, and eventually that might be a thing. For right now, he probably has very, very little trade value because of these, these exact things that we're talking about. There's uncertainty for his role. There's uncertainty about his ability to handle things off the field uh, or on on the field. You know, you never want to just take a guy who is at one point ranked you know top twenty five top 50 prospect on all of baseball and immediately stick him in the bullpen. But I think you're right. I think just for where he's at now, he could be effective out of, out of the bullpen once he kind of settles in and he's not being jerked back and forth between roles, but his stuff is real. And we're going to have a front row seat to his recovery next year. Cause I, I really don't see anybody just use his, his value is, is so uncertain right now. So you're going to have r- really wide opinions from different different front offices about what he's actually worth. So, And I think uh, he still has a fair bit of value. I think the question is, I think the key with him is going to be if he does get dealt, and I think that he's one of the guys that is pre is prominent in the trading, uh, in the trade talks. Baseball front offices are super arrogant. They all think that they can be the guy to unlock that potential. Uh, and there's no questions of stuff. I think the thing with Braves fans, if we do manage to hold on to Gohara, the the main thing is to realize that yes he's got he's got maybe the most upside but he's also got more to develop than a lot of these other guys because he does not have uh, a consistent vertical drop pitch like a change up or a curveball uh, so when you're talking about fastball slider that's not something that you can go through orders two and a half three times with without having people start to time you up. And because a slider by its nature is like the second fastest breaking pitch aside from a cutter, um, the, the, the difference in velocity is not great. Uh, if he can, I think he needs to be held in the minors really until he gets a handle on that change up because he's the type of guy that I think if you put him in a role, if you put him as a bullpen piece, I think you have to leave him there. I don't think he's a guy that you can kind of float around like they've been doing Max Freed. I think oh, yeah. this is a guy that needs to stick somewhere. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that aspect. Yeah, same. But I mean, what do I know? Uh, just a podcaster. <laughs> uh, now, last thing, real quick, and we'll we'll let you go here. Um, out of all of these guys, and you do a ton, a ton, especially with the D two guys. Um, out of out of all the prospect, who's the one guy that you're most excited to watch next year? Not who you think is going to be the best or the quickest riser. Who's the guy that you're most excited to watch? Oh, without question, um, CJ Alexander. Uh, I just, I haven't seen a lot of them. I don't know a, a lot about of him. I mean, I, I can look at the numbers and there's enough reason to get excited right there. You know, um, he, he adjusted really well. Uh, he wound up, finished up in Florida, right? He was, he was in high A. Um, but like I said, I just, I haven't seen him. Um, I, I've, when you know Talking Chop was excited about him when they when he got drafted, so and those are guys those 
guys' opinions I value you up tremendously. Uh, a lot of other people were excited and, and kind of he hit well. He did all right. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's no question it's him and, and probably Tristan Beck, just to, to see him back on a professional field. I mean, I know he pitched like four or five innings this year, but, I mean, I want to see him really pitch a ball game. So I would say those are the two that I'm, I'm definitely most excited about personally to get my eyes on a little bit more and hopefully see what they could do. What about you, Doc? Uh, I definitely got got my eye on Mueller for next year to see if um, if he can continue his ascent. Uh, Oscar Inoa is another one. He's Rule Five eligible, but we didn't really talk about him much because the highest we scar we scar sir. Pronounce it correctly. I, I can't just call him Oscar. No. <laughs> I mean, all right, fine, um, Mister Inoa. We will we will just agree to disagree on that or. Yeah, we will agree to disagree on that one. Any any damn ways. So by the <laughs> by the time he he made it up to high A, his ERA was like eight, but his FIP was under three. He had really really good strikeout rates. Um, I I think that he could be somebody that I think eventually he's probably a, a bullpen piece. But uh, mm-hmm. man, he he really had some outings with the first part of the year. Like when he was with Rome, he was carving guys up. But he was going back and forth between. Uh, six innings of, of one hit, eleven strikeout ball, and then he'd give up six runs in three and a third the the next time out. So yeah. if he can if he can get some consistency, I think that he will be really interesting to watch. And uh, Matt Rowland is a, is a dark horse. It was nice to see him back on the mound this year, and uh, I'd be curious to know the farther he gets from Tommy John, how he's going to respond to that. It's a nice pull. How about, there. how about you, Dylan? What's your uh, what's your trio or or two guys or however many so there, there's a few obviously joey wentz because i'm i'm his biggest fan like uh spongebob with kevin the sea pickle or sea cucumber whatever uh that's that's about me with joey wentz um but uh as far as kind of the under the radar guys like i am i don't know exactly why but i am so interested in watching aj graffinino um because i, I want to see if the hit tool is really there i want to see if it's really just because He's older than the guys he was playing because the defense is is superb. And if he's even on like a Riley Delgado track where he's just good at, at touching the baseball, Riley's another guy. But if AJ's a guy whose hit tool was really just is really a lot better than was expected, and if his fall was really just due to the injury, that's a guy that could end up being one of the bigger steals, especially if you're like me and, and aren't sold on Dansby. AJ's a guy that if this swing is for real, and I don't know if he has the same power, but I, I want to see it. I want to see him continue to grow. He's a son of a former player, uh, a ton of coaching and the best coaching growing up, and he's he's another one of those grinder-type guys that's always out there and, and always trying to learn and get better. I love those type of guys, uh, so I want to see him. And then I have this weird fascination now. Like I want to see what Braxton Davidson does. Uh, like the four, like I don't think he's a real prospect. I really don't because I, I think he's Adam don't Brett Walker. Cool. I think cool. I think he's <laughs> I think he's Adam Brett Walker. Uh, I don't think he's a major league guy. I just want to see it. I want to see how far he goes with this. Like 
is four consecutive homers in the AFL, but he's probably already he's he's probably had like thirty at bats. He's probably struck out sixty two times. That's just like, he's he's just that guy, and he's still young. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. But he can't do anything but play first base. He's a DH somewhere, obviously. But I, I just want to see what he can do. I think it makes that no uh, sense. Yeah, <laughs> I I think he'd do great in. Um, Playing in Japan or something, he would have like an Eric Thames type uh, oh, dude t- type send, run over there. Send him to Toronto. You know have him hitting that launch pad. Yeah. You know where he'd fit in great? He'd be a perfect net. <laughs> that's huh. that's yeah. That's, it's just so really weird with true. him. He'll have months where he has like a nine thirty OPS, and then he'll have a month where he hits like Ray Patrick Ditter with like a six thirty, and it's a hundred percent because he can't touch the baseball. Yeah. He had a ten game run where his weighted runs created plus was like five hundred and seventy or something. He 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 really does get on these crazy hot streaks. He's yeah. leading the a- AFL in home runs. He's he's got a higher OPS than Vlad Guerrero Jr. It's like ten thirty. I mean, and but he's also second in the league in strikeouts. He struck out twenty one times in forty nine. That's, I think. I mean, <laughs> the fact that I wasn't I, all that off on my obvious no, hyperbole is yeah. <laughs> and then the, and the thing is is when he was young and, and still kind of like his his ability to walk back in the in the early days it makes no sense with the strikeouts it was, it's like literally this is a guy that walks or strikes out but now you're throwing in like when you throw in the hot streaks you get the home runs or everything it, it's just it's I almost want him to be traded because he seems like he's one of those guys that needs to, to get somewhere else and maybe help be able to throw it all together because we've seen tools in the guy. It's just we don't see them enough, if that makes sense, what I'm trying to say. Um, and it's, he's just a weird prospect. And I, and I don't think we should all – I mean, the only reason I think I said to you, Doc, on, on Twitter – the only reason he's he's even out there, I mean, he's not really a prospect, like you said. Like the only reason he's got to be out there is to be showcasing as a possible throw-in type of player, right? I mean, what I thought, other reason is he out there? I thought he was out there because he's older and he's kind of in a do-or-die situation. Because I think Grayson Janista, while I think that he's an outfielder, I think the Braves would have no compunctions about replacing Braxton with Grayson once as soon as they feel that Grayson is ready to move up again. Janista is another guy that I'm excited to see because I think Janista adding power will be tremendous. But Braxton is just that guy, man. And and it's weird because when he was drafted, and he was drafted out of high school, so obviously it's a testament to how, guess what, high school drafts, it's really hard to judge a high school player, especially when you realize that Michael Kopech was drafted right behind him. Um, But – he was drafted, and it was said that he had an elite eye. I've started to question that, and Andy brought this up as well. Uh, Andy Harris from Outfield Fly Rule. Um, is it really an elite eye, or is it just that if he guesses wrong, he's not going to swing? Yes. I mean, that's, that's, fair. that's a fair assessment. I, I don't know. Two, like two weeks ago, I wrote on – on minor league ball, I never want to have to write another sentence about him. And then, of course, he starts doing this, and I'm going to have to write a sentence about him. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. But, it's uh, hilarious. One thing that you said, uh, Dylan, that you mentioned, Delgado and, and Graffinino, those were two of my favorite guys to watch this year. They were just, like you said, their defense is superb. They, It, it seemed like they put the bat on the ball uh, every time. And I remember I turned to, to Ben at, in, in Rome, and I, I said, joking, like, 
I'm like, if Luke Dykstra was ever, ever good, he was AJ Graffinino. <laughs> you know, there, there's no, there's no power. There's no power whatsoever, but he just puts the bat on the ball. But Graffinino is a little better at getting on base. He's much better defensively. Um, but he, they were that, that same kind of player. But I, I do, I do see, um, more of a future for Graffinino and Delgado. And Delgado, but he's another guy you hope that this year translates well because he was one of those older guys. Uh, college guys in in the South Atlantic League that you're you have to you have to kind of temper your expectations and see what happens at the next level. But those were two definitely two guys that were fun to watch in my opinion as well. Riley Delgado just has the best story of any of any guy in the entire minor league system. When we had when we had Brian Bridges on, um, we were talking to him, and, and Riley Delgado is one of his favorites just because of how they found Riley. They found Riley at an open showcase. And it was Brian Bridges and Chipper Jones, uh, and just watched him just tear up at at just a, an open showcase. And Brian said that he broke one of his own rules and bought in on a guy based solely off of that, which lets you know that Chipper Chipper told Brian, and uh, Brian uh, was telling us that uh, every once in a while Chipper will text him and be like, "Hey, how's Riley doing?" Uh, when he feels like being smug. And showing off a little bit because Chipper said that Riley's a guy that he's going to hit, uh, that that he's he's a player, and Riley's Riley was one of those superb storylines of a guy that uh, was 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 kind of was pretty good in college, um, really under the radar, obviously, but really really good defender, really smooth, uh, just a guy that lives at the ball field and a guy that never takes for granted what he's doing. So with Riley with Riley Delgado, there's a little bit of a, of a bias in there just because I, I love the story of that guy, of a guy that just came to an open tryout and did so well that a Hall of Famer and the best director of scouting in all of baseball took notice. Mm. That's pretty cool. I anyway. didn't know that background. That is a cool story. I mean, it's, it's really awesome, and uh, I'm not just saying that because we want Riley on the show, hint, hint. Um, but <laughs> we have we have run dangerously close to out of time here. Uh, we have used up too much of Wayne's time, as per usual, on this show. So everybody out there, make sure you're following Wayne on Twitter, at U of D Wayne, uh, following the stuff on Minor League Ball, following his... If I could just throw in real quick that U of D is for Delaware, who is currently in the top 10 of the FCS postseason ranking. So make sure you keep an eye on the Blue Hens football team, please. Thank you. Home of uh, alma mater of uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, Joe Flacco. Yeah, after he transferred from Pitt. His brother Tom Flacco uh, last Saturday, which is pretty cool. Oh, well, there you go. Also the home of uh, Wes Hills before he transferred to Slippery Rock. But all that out of the way, make sure you're following. Uh, if, if you're a big football guy, too, or just a D2 guy, whether it's basketball or football, uh, make sure you're following as well because Wayne is, is tied in super deep on that as well. Um Everybody out there, make sure you're following him around. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Doc, Wayne, thank you both for joining me. It was a ton of fun. Always. Always is. Doc thank is, you for having me, guys. I love talking baseball with you. So much fun. Doc, as usual, I have to apologize because I talked way too much. Um, oh, it's cool. I got some reading done. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be yelled at about it uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, for all of you out there, make sure you're dropping a follow on iTunes, on TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever. You know all the stuff. Follow us on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. Follow the Facebook page as well. Thank you guys so much again. Check out mybookie.ag for us. Drop a line. Let them know that we sent you there. Thank you, guys. We will catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
Thanks, bye.